On a sunny Thursday morning, the late Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, visited Luton and Dunstable Hospital to unveil a cardiac center worth 5.5 million pounds. He was greeted by hospital staff members, one of whom, a particular nurse who's beaming with joy and smiling from ear to ear, caught his attention. He approached the said nurse and asked, Where do you come from? And she responded, I'm from the Philippines. To which he said, The Philippines must be half empty, you're all here running the NHS. The nurse burst in laughter upon hearing the joke. Filipino migration in the UK has significantly increased in the past decades, not just in the healthcare industry where Filipinos have become a vital part of the National Health Service, or NHS, but also in other fields like IT, engineering, finance, and accounting. Of course, not everyone is blessed with the luck and opportunity to grow a career in the UK, especially in an overly competitive place like London, a city that continues to attract top talent all over the world. How would you respond if a recruiter calls you for an open role and asks, Do you have what it takes to be an overseas Filipino worker in London? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Banana Q Podcast. Today we are joined by my good friend Tam Tam an OFW living in London. Hi, Tam. Hi, Dan. I heard you live so close to Buckingham Palace. You're practically neighbors with the royal family. Do you see them every day? Yeah, well, casually. <laughs> they just uh, run by. <laughs> they go they go walking every morning. Mm. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, it's not too far away because mm. I live in southwest London mm. and uh, they're they're quite near. Um, mm. It's easy to access uh, Buckingham Palace and nice. Kensington Palace. Just a trivia. Prince George, um, Prince William's first son, goes to school uh, in, in our neighborhood. Oh, really? So, yeah. So when I told my mom about it, she wanted to stay outside the school <laughs> and wait <laughs> wait for Kate or Prince William to show up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I told her, Mom, it's spring break. So uh, there's no students okay. here. <laughs> but maybe she will get a chance when school reopens. Yeah, probably. My housemate actually saw Prince William. Mm. Um, it was in the school one time. Mm. And his school is quite near um, Gordon Ramsay's restaurant as well. I see. Which I, I, I also just uh, ran into him because he, he lives in the same neighborhood. I see. And did you greet him? Because on TV, he easily gets angry. And scary. Yeah, when I just saw his um, his hair, <laughs> his blonde hair, I got scared and yeah, I just froze. I, I didn't have even my camera or my phone with me, just a picture. I just, you know, starstruck. And then I just I left. And I don't know, people were just so casual that he was there. So I, it felt like so stupid to, <laughs> to act like a fangirling. <laughs> mm. I've never been to London myself, but I always have the impression of how grand and beautiful it is. Yeah, it's quite exciting. But mm. uh, one thing I learned also when I moved here is that when I got here in the UK, people people are not so interested in the royal family. No. I, I mean, the ones living here. The tourists, definitely, they're such a big fan. They come to the UK to see everything about the royal family. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that people talk about here. Like, Ooh. you know how we always get so updated what happened with the queen, what happened to the, to the royal family and all that. Yeah. They don't talk about it here. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I have never encountered um, an office discussion that involved uh, any comments about the royal family. 
Um, I didn't know that. I think it's either probably respect to the royal family Mm. or they just don't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I I did have a real talk with one of my British uh, colleagues Mm -hmm. and I I did ask him uh, why, you know, um, they, they don't bother talking about the royal family anymore. And he says, yeah, th- they don't do a lot anymore and they're just taking all our money. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But because because the royal family or the queen, they're not as influential in running the, the government as mm. they were in the previous years. Yeah. So it, it, probably if you're watching The Crown, you know how the prime minister would always go to see the queen and yeah. make those discussions and all those decisions in running the government. Probably the prime minister would still visit the queen, you know, or, yeah. or make all those all those updates, but it's not so influential anymore. So yeah, it's very ceremonial now. Yeah, just ceremonial, the charity works and advocacies uh, that they normally do. Yeah. So whereas us, we're very updated, and we even know about the yeah. prince who went to Canada, right? Yeah. So that <laughs> Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle discussion. Mm. Yeah. I've heard a lot of comments, but it's mostly from Ar- Americans and Filipinos. I've never <laughs> heard uh, British people discuss about it. So a lot of people asked me, "Oh, what do the Brits think about it? What did they say?" I was like, "Nothing." <laughs> <laughs> They, they simply don't care. They they, they don't care. <laughs> they, they, it was aired in like Good Morning Britain, uh, you know, journalists. Uh, mm-hmm. They have all these tabloids. So I would uh, understand, I guess, um, the point that they want to keep uh, the tabloids um, there because mm-hmm. they want to be as relevant as possible. I see. Because, again, um, they don't know the future of the monarchy um, once, uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth um, turns over the crown. Yeah. So will it be the same as it was before? And I think uh, I, I read somewhere there was a forecast that probably it won't reach um, Prince George anymore. Or he could still be a king. He could still be king, but he's not going to be as famous as how mm. it was with the queen. Like uh, how other European countries have royal families. He would just be like one of those. I see. I see. Well, you still can apply, right, to be queen. <laughs> <laughs> apply to to be Prince George's girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, apply. <laughs> you, you start early. <laughs> Tam, why did you become an OFW? You you have a comfortable life in the Philippines, so you don't seem to fit the profile. And why why London? Yeah, so I guess I'm not your typical OFW. So mm-hmm. I never really imagined myself. Um, Living abroad, mm. uh, first off, I, I didn't see the need to. Yeah. And uh, second of all, having traveled to many places all my life, I never really saw the interest to live abroad because I, I guess I was just contented with my life in the Philippines mm. and I had all my comfort and convenience there. So I've always just seen other countries as, uh, you know, a source of joy for like a traveling or like holiday, uh, like a good break. But essentially, I I would always conclude of, yeah, I have to live in the Philippines. Yeah. Then a recruiter actually just um, messaged me in LinkedIn and was wondering if I was interested in a role in London. And, you know, it it felt like, you know, some something was calling me mm. to, to consider uh, living abroad. Yeah, because, you know, I, I didn't apply for it. Um, mm. Someone was just um, recruiting at no cost. I, I just went with, with the interviews and eventually they gave me an offer. I told myself, well, 
if I had to live abroad, I only had three uh, countries in my mind where I would do so. Mm. Uh, first would be the U.S. because that's my second home and I have a lot of uh, family there. Mm. Second could be Australia. It's nearest to the Philippines and they speak English. Yeah. And it's still city-like, not co- compared to New Zealand. Right. And uh, third would be uh, London in the U.K. And each of these areas, um, I would go for the most city um, mm. to live in. And it has to speak in English because I cannot speak in another language. <laughs> I, I would remember Spanish class. It's so close to Bisaya. I could not, I could not do it. <laughs> so, yeah, so I already know what I can and can't do. So, mm. I, and I've accepted that. So considering that this was just something given to me, mm. an opportunity, and it fit all the requirements in case I would work abroad, I felt like, you know, I, I was meant to go to London. Hmm. So I accepted the offer without really thinking it thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just there to find myself. It was taking a risk, but not too risky that I'm risking my whole life mm. or my whole career. So there was nothing to lose if if I went for it. So I did. And... One scary thing is when I accepted the offer, I just realized that I don't really have any family there, not even mm. one relative. Oh, in the UK, in the UK, not even just in London, all over UK, we don't have any relative. I see. And then I don't have any close friends in London as well. I know some people who work here, but you now you know as we got older, we know the difference between a friend and an acquaintance. Ah, yes. So, <laughs> so that's when it hit me. Oh. Oh, oh my God, I'm going to live on my own and I'll really be on my own. <laughs> so yeah. so it was a, an adventure that um, I, I didn't think I would have uh, in my life. And uh, it got me to where I am. And um, I'm re- really happy that, that I did. And also, I did not know any of the paperwork of how to uh, be an OFW. <laughs> so <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and so, there's a lot, um, right? <laughs> I've heard a lot of stories, but I I did not hear any particular stories about London. So what I heard is um, for you to work abroad, the company that you would work for should be registered with an agency in POEA and direct hire is not allowed. You can be a direct hire, you can ask for an exemption. And when you get that exemption, that's when you can apply for that OEC, hmm. um, the Overseas Employee Certificate that you show to immigration when you leave uh, the borders. Hmm. Now, in my case, I was a direct hire. Uh, KPMG UK does not have any agency in the Philippines. Yeah. And I know a lot of firms, uh, they don't do that because, you know, they take a lot of money hmm. um, for recruiting uh, Filipinos. And they would just say, okay, we'll not recruit from Philippines anymore. We'll recruit from other countries. Because the first 10 employees that they get, it's still for free. They don't need an agency. They can direct hire. Mm. And, and that's all fine. But um, after 10, or, or I'm not sure if it's 10, it's some some sort of amount, they would need to register. And a portion of everyone's salaries uh, would would have to be paid to, to POEA. Really? So, yeah. So That sounds like so a new ruling. Uh, I'm not sure if it's new, but uh, I've heard that it's been there for quite a while for mm. for, for some of the auditing firms um, that I know. 
for, for people who work there because I've known people who were deployed to other European countries and uh, they were able to process it fine. But when they've hit the cutoff, it took some time for like, you know, the, the, the auditing firm to process the papers and, and the agency uh, payments and all that. So mm. they were delayed for like five, six more months. Ooh. Before they were deployed, and the firm was like, "Okay, this will be the last batch of Filipinos that will be hiring. After that, we'll be hiring from everyone, every everywhere else." That's sad. So, yeah, that is sad. So, you know, I think the government should should do something about that. You know, take into considerations um, um, professionals uh, mm. and you know the different types of um, OFWs because. I think the way they're treating um, uh, OFWs are mostly like domestic uh, workers yeah. in, in that sense. And uh, it's so funny because, okay, I got my visa but and I need to leave the country within a certain number of days. Otherwise, my visa would no longer be valid. Yeah. So within that short period of time, I needed to get my OEC. Otherwise, I would just have to exit to another country without any visa mm. and enter London from there, which most people did. <laughs> and that's see. what the what they've been telling me already uh, from the start. But but you know me, I'm always by the rules and mm. I was not comfortable. <laughs> I was not comfortable with that with that thing. So I tried to do the proper way mm. by getting an exemption uh, of being a direct hire. And I even asked my dad to help me because mm. if he knows someone from Dole or POEA and they said, okay, we would help you, but I need they need a certificate to say that um, the company I'm working for is legit. Hmm? I was like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> going to work for top four auditing firm in the world. And Philippines is asking for a legit certificate that they are real. I, oh, that's no. so ironic. And, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> I, I would, I felt so ashamed. Asking for it um, mm. for my future employer, so I think KPMG would just laugh at me. Oh, mm. What? What? You know, I we can afford not to hire you. Like mm. no, no more. <laughs> it is quite embarrassing, right? Because first of all, it reduces competitiveness of Filipinos as foreign talent. Yes, yes, definitely. It's getting harder and harder for us to be hired because you know there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of quote unquote formal process that we have to undergo, which. From the looks of it, the substance really isn't there. Like, what's the point? What's the purpose? It's not yeah. really making I, sense. I mean, I think the, the purpose, I, I would understand a bit that they're trying to protect the Filipinos mm. who are going to be abroad. But that's why I I would suggest the government to make categorizations mm. at these or classifications uh, to their rules because not every OFW has the same story or yeah. has the same kind of work um, conditions uh, when they go abroad. Because, you know, we, we hear also a lot of stories of OFWs when they reach to the country, um, they're being abused or mm. there's not a real work. So those things, I would understand they would try to protect. But this, yeah. <laughs> it's quite embarrassing yeah. for, for Philippines to ask a, a top four company to ask if they're legit. Uh, mm. They're their billion pound uh, revenue earning company. Yeah. And Philippines is asking for a legit certificate. So, yeah. you know, um, that, that, that didn't sound so good. So I just told my dad, it's okay, I'll exit Hong Kong and I'll take a Hong Kong to London flight. Mm. And <laughs> the funny story is I hear a lot of people saying, just act, act casual at the immigration. I, like, I've been in immigration hundreds <laughs> of times, but this time 
I was so scared because uh-huh. I was so guilty that I am not going to Hong Kong for tourism. Mm-hmm. And there's like, you'll be fine. Your passport is full of stamps. How could they question you of staying in London for a weekend? I was like, I don't know. It just feels like, you know, I, I'm lying. <laughs> you feel like I'm you're a doing a crime, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a crime. And what I actually did was I actually taped my the the page where the uk visa was stamped on mm-hmm. I, I taped it so that the immigration officer wouldn't find it and ah. I, i've done it before because i was saving a page for you know when i was applying a visa and i was running out of pages so this time i, I taped it really nice and made it more casual so that when she scans around she won't find it mm. so when i was at Immigration. You know, they don't normally ask, um, especially if you know they've seen your travel history and as, if you're just going to Hong Kong, Singapore. You know, they they don't normally ask. Yeah. So when when I was at the immigration counter, she didn't ask anything. So thank God, uh, I was like sweating. <laughs> but when I was about to leave, when she was about to hand me my passport, she saw the tape page, <gasps> and she was about to open it. <sighs> And when she was trying to cut it out, I told her, I'm saving a page for, for a visa that I'm applying on. So <laughs> uh-huh. so, so I, I was just trying to talk to her out, like, don't open it anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, she was looking at me sincerely. I was just like, so scared. But good thing she didn't question whatever oh she, she, she thought it was there. <laughs> it was so scary. That's why I really don't like lying because, <laughs> because if I get caught, I don't. I'm not really good at, you know, keeping up with the lie. <laughs> but you stood your ground. You kept your cool. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So because of that, I, I would have just said, no, I'm not going to London anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, no London. It's, it's like, it's okay. I'll stay here in the Philippines. <laughs> I arrived in July and I was already planning to go home in November. Wow. <laughs> I did. And I did go home. And you it did. was for oh, wow. our college friend's uh, wedding. Uh, it was Nadine's wedding in November. So yeah, a lot of people judge me. Uh, you go to London in July and you go home in November. <laughs> and then I went home again in December. Oh, what? For, for Christmas. It was like, oh, you're making uh, London your new Manila? Yeah. So, <laughs> So I was like, I still don't understand the process. So they said, okay, once you're here, what you need to do is you need to go to the embassy mm-hmm. and just say you want an OEC. And I was yeah. like, but they would ask me how I got here, right? <laughs> so so essentially, I would still need to say that I was a fraud. And <laughs> and and they said, yeah, just say sorry. I was like, what? <laughs> is this for real? So I, I actually found um, a friend who... Well, who, so okay, I would just also call him a fraud then for doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually going home to the Philippines in November. Mm-hmm. He actually arrived earlier than me, uh, January of the same year. When I got in London, I wanted to process my OEC immediately, mm-hmm. but because I was so guilty of, of being here. Mm-hmm. But they said um, it would only be valid for like two months or something. Mm-hmm. So if I get it now. I would have to get again later when mm. I fly I- yeah. in November. So they said better to get it like as the date gets near uh, when you travel home. Mm. So I found a friend f- um, who would go home in November as well. Mm. And 
I'll just follow his lead. So I went with him to mm-hmm. the embassy. We went to talk to the consul, but mm-hmm. while waiting for him, uh, the, the assistant was there and she was um, an old lady mm-hmm. and I, I get scared of old ladies. I, what? <laughs> I'm not, the, I'm not close to my grandmothers. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. My, my, both my grandmas, both side, they're, they're loud and always angry and always screaming. <laughs> so we, I, I don't like old ladies. Okay. So I actually just followed the lead of my friend and my friend was like, um, hi, uh, we would like to get an OEC. And I was like, why? Why you don't have one? <laughs> and my friend was like, uh, we couldn't process one when we were still in the Philippines. Oh, so how did you get here? <laughs> so, so yeah, it was something like that. And and my friend uh, really told uh, the honest answer. Um, I exited uh, via Taiwan. Hmm. And it was like, she exited via Hong Kong. <laughs> I wasn't speaking a word. And it was so scary. And And everything just went quiet. And then suddenly a girl came mm-hmm. came inside the room mm-hmm. and the lady was like, yes. And she was like, I'm here to get an OEC. And, and it was the same story. I was like, then how did you get here also? I was like, I, I exited a different country. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like a trend already. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, for me, I think if, if eventually they would just give you an OEC when you arrive, it would have been better if they got you know, I, I'm I'm sure people would be happy to follow follow the process mm. if the process wasn't so complicated. Yeah. And yeah, we just got our OEC anyway. So <laughs> my 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 friend uh, was a bit nice to the old lady, and the old lady mentioned that she's from Dumaguete, so mm. she was Bisaya. So I was like, oh, I'm Bisaya as well, and she was <laughs> like all chatty chatty uh, and all that. So I see. But you only had to do that once, right? Once you're registered for OEC, you'll have to... Yeah. Once you're registered for OEC, you just have to get that once. But mm. again, it expires for like two months. Mm. But So every time you leave the country, you ha- we just have to apply online. Yeah. Um, it would just ask you if, you're, if your working conditions changed, your employer changed, and it will give you a certificate um, online. And that's what you show um, in the immigration counter. And it was just so easy. Yeah, that bit has been simplified because I recall when I was working in Singapore, every time you go home, you need to report to the embassy and request for an OEC physically, which was problematic because we only have a given number of days leave, right? And we have to sacrifice one day just to get a paper that would allow us to go home, which was crazy yes that's why i think they should reconsider all these um i mean yeah again we get the process we understand the purpose Mm. but if there's a more efficient way in doing things um people would cooperate more and would have less fraudsters i guess the bright side is this is a sign that overseas employment for filipinos has dramatically changed from let's say 10 years ago when majority of employment would be through domestic helpers, blue-collar labor. Mm. But right now, more and more professionals are entering the scene. And so you're right, there has to be proper categorization. And it's such a shame because I think the Filipinos are are giving a good mark to to the outside world Mm. of how they work, uh, the quality of work that they perform. Mm. That's one of the things that they like about Filipinos, their work ethics, the quality of work that Mm. that they deliver. That's why they want to hire more Filipinos. But then again, they they are told of the story of the agency and, and the payments. Yeah. And especially if they find out the salary of the person, 
the the higher the the fees would be for that agency. So, um, the 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 firm would just back out and, and find uh, other talents uh, yeah. from different countries. So if you know if the Philippines would be more supportive uh, for professionals because it, it's really good to see uh, professionals um, um, in the outside world so that mm. it won't just be domestic or blue-collared workers or mm. Filipinos being seen abroad because uh, sometimes it, it gets so generalized and they belittle uh, Filipinos. That's all the job they do. Yeah, because uh, definitely we are um, competitive uh, in that area. You've mentioned that you wanted a London because English is widely spoken, but I know for a fact that British English is not really the cup of tea for Filipinos yes. <laughs> because we're we're so used to American English. So how, how was that? I didn't think at first because to me English is English. <laughs> uh, it's just a matter of the words that they use and mm. how they pronounce it. For mm. so for to me at least, I could still understand them uh, at some point. Not like if it's Japanese, no, I I wouldn't understand <laughs> anything that you would say. Mm. So when I got here, um, it's hard to understand their accent. <laughs> I can imagine. Yes. <laughs> well, well, well. Before you know how people are such a fan of like Harry Potter mm. because it has that accent. You know, yes. um, we get so excited. Or when we watch like American Idol before, mm. when Simon would speak, people would you know get so excited because he has a, a different um, or the Spice Girls because they're <laughs> English. <laughs> Um, and it's different from the American language. Um, it's hard to transition a bit because they use very proper words, mm. whereas the American English is a bit more casual. Yeah. So in that sense, I really had to adjust uh, the my the way I pronounce words and the choice of words actually ah, uh, yes. when I speak to them, because you know how how proper they are. <laughs> <laughs> What I've noticed is mm. every single uh, citizen of the world, you'd find it here in London. Mm. So what's funny is that there are a lot of Indians here, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of uh, Europeans as well, and a lot of Asians. Mm. But these people, they don't change their accent ah. to make it most British sounding. <laughs> but whereas most Filipinos I know, mm. when they are here, they try to change their accent and try to keep up <laughs> with how the, the, the British are saying it. Mm. So when I arrived here, I actually did that as well. So <laughs> I know for a fact my accent would be like Filipino-English um, accent. Mm. I, uh, and we always get complimented. Like, are you American? I was like, oh, no, thank you. I'm Filipino. <laughs> it's, you always get that, something yes. like that, right? But, but speaking to them, I was like... Do, do I have to say it like, you know, I can't dance. And <laughs> maybe because when you speak to them, sometimes they don't understand yes. you because you said it in a different way. Mm. So that's why you try so hard to to change uh, your accent mm. to, to so that they would um, understand you. And for, for some time, I, I didn't even know what my accent was anymore <laughs> because if, if I speak to like the English people, yeah. they have this accent. If mm. I speak to Scottish people, they have this accent. Mm. The Indians never change their accent. <laughs> okay. They they have their own world. Yeah. And other Asians like Chinese, mm. they kept their accent. I mean, why would Filipinos have to change their accent? Right? So 
That's interesting. I stopped pretending <laughs> that I know how to speak their accent. And, mm. you know, when people know that I lived in London and when I come home, it's like, oh, do you have your new accent already? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they, you have to understand uh, their slang as well. And I I did have like a funny moment where mm-hmm. I, I was at the meeting and you know how they serve tea all the time. So <laughs> yes. I was asked, um, how do you make your tea? I, I was like, oh, you know, I start with boiling water and <laughs> I boil water. And when it's boiled up, I just put the tea bag. <laughs> And 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 the lady's face was so blank. I was like, "Do you want some milk or sugar?" I was like, "Oh no, no, uh, tea is fine for me." So she was asking you, "How do you like you it? Take, how do you like yeah. your tea?" Yeah, how do you like it? Because if you take it literally, how do you make your tea? I answered how I make my tea. I start with boiling water, get my tea bag, put it in a cup. I was it's like all of a sudden, why is this English lady interested in how I make my tea? I was like, why? How do you make your tea? <laughs> yeah, so so it's quite interesting. So they they like those, and those are um, some of the cultural things that I really had to adapt. Uh, aside from their accent, is the way they like small talks ah. here in 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 London mostly. So they would always want to start small talks, even every meeting or every call, just even. If someone calls you, it starts with an how are you? And Mm -hmm. you really have to respond. It's not like a how are you? And then, you know how people would say in the Philippines, hey, musta. And it's just like an opening statement. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But here it's like, hey, how are you? You have to respond. Oh, I'm all good. I'm so busy. How about you? Mm. And he would say, oh, I'm all good. I just picked up my kid from school, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And you just have to get that small talk and then waste three minutes of it and just say, <laughs> okay, let, so the reason I really called, or, you know, ah, <laughs> that's, yes. that's when the actual meeting really starts. So that's one thing. And just just a tip for anyone who wants to go to London. You just really have to accept that they want they want this uh, small talks. And most of the time, what they want to talk about is um, they they start with how are you, mm-hmm. how do you find the weather, um, what did you do last weekend, mm-hmm. or what are your plans for the weekend. So this was um, pre COVID. The British people are a fan of doing things uh, over the weekend. Yeah. So they like sports. They like travel um they do whatever so i know this because when i talk to my other filipino friends who are here as well you know when we discuss about it it gets so weird because when they ask how was your weekend and what did you do and for me it's normal to say no i didn't do anything i just (laughs) did laundry (laughs) I, i i cleaned the house i did laundry and that was it and they were just like Really? That was your weekend? <laughs> and they don't accept that as a normal answer. And mm. which is so weird because when I talked to my friend as well, I was like, you know, I had a meeting and I asked me how my weekend was. When I said oh, I just did laundry, they were so shocked that I wasted a weekend. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can't do weekend on my workday. I'm so busy. That's why I do it on the weekend. So <laughs> because to them, weekend is I'm going skiing or mm. I'm going to the beach. I'm going for a run. I'm going for a hike. So... Mm. 
they they have so much enthusiasm and Filipinos are like when it's weekend I'm dead on weekends don't talk to me <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> yeah, it's time what... for me to catch up me doing nothing so so yeah so you have to prepare for for that so you look forward to the weekend to do nothing but but to them it's always they always have weekend plans that inspires you at least right to 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 do something on weekends so that you can say something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the, that is interesting. Sometimes I do uh, short travels, like weekend travels. Like I visit my friends in Netherlands. Mm. I, I go for a short trip in Italy, and I say, "Oh, I, I'm going to 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 Venice over the weekend." And they would say, "Oh, I love it there." You know, my mom, blah blah blah. So it makes that three minute small talk into uh, up to ten minutes, and then your actual agenda. Well, would you fall short and then meeting would just be over and then you don't get what you needed from that meeting so ah, yes, yes, <laughs> they, yes. they really like they really like all, all these um, small talks so they're like um, socials as well hmm. so that's what they call um, uh, going out for drinks so socials and, and they usually have it every Thursday night which I which I which I found weird at first because in the Philippines we do it Friday night right mm-hmm. because it's for the weekend. They do it here every Thursday because Friday on to weekend, it's like um, personal time. That's family mm. time. The thing here in London is that, you know, it's not like any other city that when you leave the Philippines, you would find work-life balance mm. when you go abroad. That's not the story here in London. Oh, it's really? much busier. It's really busy. So... Uh, yeah, just a heads up for people who <laughs> wants to work in London. You, you just have to accept that it's really um, busy here. So, of course, the, the pay is better than when you were in the Philippines, but mm-hmm. you would expect the workload uh, to be the same and, and the pressure. Uh, because they, they really like socials. And for you to be relevant uh, to your workplace, you have to join those socials. And no matter how good you are at work, it won't matter if you don't join the socials because you, they have to know you from outside the work and mm. you have to bond with them. So it sounds easy, right? Okay, you just have to join them. The thing is, when you join them, the topic that they talk about when they're we're in these socials, we are not familiar with it. First of all, um, it's mainly about sports and they love football. And for Filipinos, we are a fan of like NBA, you yeah. know? Uh, basketball or or anything that's American. Mm. Uh, the British are not a fan of Americans. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's so hard to relate. Um. So I remember joining my first socials. They don't like to sit down as well mm. when they drink. They like to stand up with their beers or whatever they have on their hand. They like to stand up. So I don't drink, first of all. So I just joined for mm. the sake of joining because I heard I have to join. Mm. I was just standing there for two hours, not a word said, just pretend smile, pretending <laughs> that I was laughing to the jokes, to whatever a person said. Oh, no. Yes. So it, it, you, you really have to adapt to their culture. You know, they have all these football. Mm. You really have to know football. They like cricket. They like horse, horse racing. They like all this English stuff, of course, because you are in Great Britain. <laughs> so when you start telling them, oh, what, are, what do you like? Oh, you know, I like basketball. And I was like, 
oh, we only know LeBron James and Michael <laughs> Jordan, and that's it. I was like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, let's not talk. And, and again, the other thing I would know about UK is the royal family, and it's something. And they don't care they about also it. Don't talk about. They don't care about that. So there's really nothing for me to share or for me to comment on. So. That's when I realized, okay, I'm I don't like joining socials anymore. So since then, I've been declining socials. So, oh no! Yeah, but 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 it's fine. It's not affecting my career. Like you know, you're not a performer because you're not socials. Mm. But if you want to climb up the ladder, you have to you make really that have extra to. effort to mingle with them. And I was like, no, I I I don't I don't want to bother. I'm mm. happy where I am. I don't care if they would promote me or not. I'm just going to do my work as long as they give me my monthly salary, I'm fine. So I'm fine hide, hiding in my house. So I'm an introvert now, <laughs> which most of my Filipino friends are, but, but some really um adapted to, adapted to it. Um they're really getting into it because you know um they have a different drive they want to to get promoted mm. and, and and all that so uh, that's them but what i did observe though most filipinos they mingle more with asians Ah, <laughs> they they mingle with uh, people in Hong Kong, Singapore, mm. Japan, and China, and these um, Asians mostly are you know crazy rich Asians. Ooh. These are your typical Asians that you know um, had that uh, boarding school in UK, <laughs> mm. and then they started working in, in, in England. I see. So it's easier to talk to them because uh, at least the culture is a bit um, you know Closer. similar <laughs> yeah. at some point. Yeah. One of the challenges here is that they know how hardworking Asians can be, ah. um, especially Filipinos. So they are the ones who would um, go over the line and, and work so that they can complete uh, complete everything. So uh, unlike other countries where they really do nine to five, here in London, that's not that's not the case. You you, you still need to work uh, beyond those hours. But it's not like they demand you. Well, some demand, but it's a case-to-case basis. But um, you are still entitled to leave the office at five. Like, but and and it's a culture culture difference. And this is what I was trying to say because the the British people, when it's five o'clock, I was like, okay, it's five o'clock. It's time for me to leave the office, even if work is not finished. They would just leave it. Oh, and they would say, I have a nail appointment at five thirty. I need to leave. <laughs> They, they do that and that's and the valid so excuse like, yes <laughs> yeah and they and it's a legit excuse when it's mm. something personal or they have an appointment you cannot do anything about it you cannot tell you know your staff to say you're not done with your testing you can't leave when they say it's 5 30 they have an appointment a personal appointment a private appointment whatever you you can't do anything about it so filipinos end up continuing their work oh. and absorbing other people's work because you know we are Filipinos. We like to work and make sure we we give uh, good deliverables uh, to the bosses. So that is always the challenge when you are working with a junior staff um, that is uh, like a British people, um, mm. because they have that culture that my work is just nine to five, and that's what I'm paid for to do anyway. They don't have that you know the same drive as Filipinos to give the best quality on time. And I don't care if it requires me X number of hours to work in a day to mm. deliver. They work, work is work for them. It's nine to five, but 
the Filipinos here, they have to do more because they need to absorb whatever oh, was no, lacking from, from the other teams. <laughs> yeah, and and that that is why Filipinos need to speak up because Filipinos here tend to be so shy, mm. and you know, and uh, they don't say no, especially if if they ask you if you have too much on your plate or is this possible? Can you send this tomorrow? We just say yes. Mm. You know, we just say yes to everything. And probably because it's of a cultural thing for us that um, probably because we were slaves for so long, we were, mm. <laughs> we, we, we act like we are slaves of it. So mm. you can actually say no, they won't take it against you, mm. but it's a cultural thing that we don't say no. Mm. And we end up being burnt out. Yes. That, that, that is one of the problem. And, and they they don't abuse it like um like the, these uh, big bosses, but they tend to take advantage of it because they know if they assign it to the Filipinos, mm. Filipinos would do it, you know, uh, and they would do it wholeheartedly um, for you. So that is the difference. And one of the challenges here as well is that in our organization, I mean, I mean, in, in not just our organization, even across the big four, the people who work in auditing firms are not from accounting um, um, college degrees. Mm-hmm. So they don't have any business or accounting background. Kid you not, they don't know anything about accountancy. Really? So we have um, chemistry, we have theater, we, <laughs> we have biology. We have all sorts of... Um, uh, college degrees when mm. they join auditing firm, so they have no idea what they're auditing. So it it's hard to teach them auditing, and teach them the basics of accountancy or why why we're auditing. Oh, that's what ter- auditing. That's, so that's tough. It is really tough to work with them because yeah, I I also don't understand why they would hire people that are of not the same you know college degree. So. That is one of the challenges because I, I've spoken to one of my, uh, this one is a new grad, mm-hmm. fresh from university, and she's so excited to work because it's her first job. And when I was talking to her, she she, she was a bit lost when I was discussing all these um, things to do. And uh, then I found out, like, uh, I think her background was more of, economics and understanding government politics something like that i was Ooh. like why are you here in <laughs> auditing i can imagine that new grad you teach her auditing you teach her the basics but then once you're done teaching it's already 5 30 and she has a nail appointment and so she would leave you <laughs> she would leave you you will have to do it anyway so it's like yeah Oh, that that nail appointment is just legit. I was just so shocked to hear, "Oh, Rachel, I can't make it. I have a nail appointment." I was like, "What?" (laughs) Okay, next time stay. I'll do your nails while you. (laughs) We can do your nails while I I teach you what to do. Can you talk to us a little bit about the community of Filipinos that you have there? Obviously, with the differences in culture, the language, the culture shock moments that you've mentioned, you, you must need like a group of people that can relate to you, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I'm an introvert, so I manage it on my own. Oh. <laughs> but normally, um, there are a lot of Filipinos here already, mm. uh, if you could imagine, because it's in London. So our organization in itself, in just our department, we're more than 10 Filipinos already. Oh, and okay. we, there's so many uh, departments, uh, so I would 
imagine like the X number of uh, Filipinos um, in our organization. But what they normally do is they, because most especially because of COVID, they've set up this like a group chat or mm. something and they meet up like every end of the week just to discuss or what support they need. Most especially uh, the theme there is, you know, speaking up because we, we don't tend to say mm. that we're overloaded, we're overworked and we just say yes and yes and yes to, mm. to whatever is needed to be done. For me, I worked with PwC uh, Philippines before. I kind of get in touch with the people from PwC Philippines who are based in London. Nice. And my second support is the people who, the Filipinos who are also in KPMG UK in the same department as I am. Nice. So we, we always, uh, you know, get in touch. But we're not like, you know, how other countries uh, would do it. Because uh, that's what I normally see in Facebook. They tend to get together a lot. Like every Friday night or every weekend, they would just visit house to house, um, um, get together, video, okay, and, and all that. No, no, that's not happening in London. People in London are busy oh, and they're no. tired. And in their weekend, they just want to do their own thing. So, <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's it's not so common here that, okay, it's someone's birthday. Okay, everybody go there. No. <laughs> that that's not that's not the thing here in London. Yeah. But that makes sense, right? Cuz working in London, I see it as an investment. It's really for your future career growth. Definitely. If you're up for a career, mm. London w- would be a good place and you know saying you worked in London is already an achievement mm. in itself. That's but right. you know, it, it comes with a price. Yes. So <laughs> And that's the cost. It's not going to be <laughs> as easy and that's the cost. <laughs> you, you will be an introvert. Once you're done with London, where to next? How do you plan on transitioning out of London? Yeah, so that's a thing. I, I think about that every night. I don't even know wh- up to when I'm staying in London. Because when you get hired in London, you have an open contract. It's mm. not contract-based here like in normally in other, any other countries. Like You start off with two or three years contract and they would just check if they would renew or you know absorb you. Mm. That is normally the cases, you know, um, outside of um, the Philippines, but not in London. In London, when you get hired, you, you're a permanent employee and you have an open contract. Mm. So I don't really have plans. I, I have so many options, but uh, once you're here in London, you tend to be happy mm. that you're here. And it's quite an achievement that you're able to survive because a lot of people, they just give up and they just move to a different uh, country or a different office where it's, it's much less competitive, less busy, more work-life balance. It really depends on your agenda, why you moved abroad anyway. Mm. And as I told you, I don't have an agenda. So that's why I'm still here. I don't really have a plan. But I did want to consider working in industry. So working for a private company. Mm. So, so in, in the Philippines, they term it as, you know, working in an auditing firm or a private, right? But mm. here they call it working in practice or industry. So um, working in industry would give you that much edge as well. It has It's a good career growth, mm. uh, better pay, definitely, and better work-life balance. Yeah. The only challenge with working in an industry is that they don't sponsor um, visas. So because I, I worked here... Um, I was able to work here in London because KPMG sponsored my visa. Mm. So you you I'm on a tier 2 um, general workers uh, visa something like that and for you to have that visa you need to have a sponsor. And the only 
time you don't need a sponsorship is if you already have an indefinite leave to remain. So they call it ILR. So that's equivalent to being a permanent resident. Mm, uh, that's I the see. term. And you can only reach that if you've stayed here for five years. Mm. And uh, after five years of being here, you get to be an ILR. And then like a year after that, you get to apply for citizenship. Oh, that's so nice. So it's like six to seven years for you to be a citizen. If there are still people interested in working in London <laughs> and work up their career, can you offer any tips for them? Yeah. So London is London. It's the capital of the world. It's where royalty lives. And <laughs> when you enter London, you have to accept the fact that it's a very competitive, fast-paced environment. Mm. So in that sense, you already have to accept that that is the world that you're entering into. Because if you're not up for that, you know, um, I would suggest just find another country where it would be more suitable for you. But if you are up for the challenge, it is really good once you're here and, um, you know, it's really good for career growth. The next thing I would recommend is that you need to accept that rent is very expensive in London. A Philippine pastor, you'd go up to like 60000 But mm. I would think of it in a way it's a percentage of your net pay. Mm-hmm. So 25% on an average would be your cost of living, just mm. rent and bills alone. Yeah, that's quite high. Yeah, and, and that's net pay, not even your gross pay. Mm. Because the taxes are really high, the national insurance is really high. The good thing here is, again, um, the benefits here are really good, uh, like the health uh, benefits. It's mm. the centralized health, the healthcare system is really good here in, in the UK. I mean, I've been to the hospital twice and when I went to emergency room, but but don't worry, you went to the emergency emergency. room, but it was like an outpatient care, so that's why. So, you know, they just ask for your name and your birth date, and Mm. you don't have to fill up a form. Mm. And then when you speak to your doctor and you can go home, you don't even have to go to billing or or whatever, you just leave the hospital as is. Wow, so everything is free for for healthcare here that's amazing so so it's really good and you know the benefits and uh you know being in uh, this uh, first world country definitely um because london is one of the very pioneers of of, you know civilization so Mm. you you really have to expect that they really have a good process and Mm. they're more experienced in this area so it's it's quite an experience um it's challenging but you get the benefits of it, nice. definitely. I have been speaking with Tam Tam, an OFW, joining me from her lovely home in Southwest London. Tam, thanks for being so generous with your time. Thank you, Nan. If you've enjoyed this conversation, consider listening to Episode 19, What is OFW Life Like in Canada and Jersey Channel Islands? As always, thank you for listening. <laughs>